God's spirit in us helps us by enabling us and inspiring us to do good. Have you ever seen someone's story or their life and it inspires you to want to live a better life just because you saw it? Has that happened to anyone else in here? Some years back, I came across the story of a man named Paul Farmer. He was a child in Florida, in the west coast of Florida. He decided early on that he was going to be a doctor when he was 10 or 11 years old. His arm was broken when he was playing football with his brother, and he went inside, and his dad said, let me fix your arm, because they were too poor to go to the doctor's office. He went to Duke, and he studied biochemistry there. In addition to being poor, he was extremely brilliant, and his family was religious. They taught him as a child that you should love your neighbors in whatever way you can. In his sophomore year, he took a class in medical anthropology. It changed his life. He learned, he learned of the systemic connection between healthcare opportunities and where you were born. That is, just because of where you came up, you might not have the opportunities that others do. After graduating from Duke, he found himself in Haiti in 1983 for one summer. He went to work in Kanji at a medical relief center that was set up by some friends for people who'd been displaced by the government dam, which flooded their land and made it so they had no opportunities at all. They set up a makeshift clinic, and he worked there all summer, and he learned in that summer four things. First, he discovered the joy of working with friends to serve the poorest and most vulnerable people on the planet. Secondly, he learned how easy it is to help. Even though he had no medical training, he already added value there. It made him want to get into medical school more than anything else. That's the second thing he learned. The third thing, he saw with his own eyes the devastating inequalities that make it so some people have no opportunities just because of where they grew up. He tells the story of assisting a spinal tap for a young girl who screams at the top of her lungs the entire time, it hurts and I'm hungry. The fourth thing he learns while he's in Haiti is that he's been accepted to Harvard Medical School. Now, up in Boston, as far away as anyone could get from Haiti, he cannot shake the conviction that that little girl in Haiti remains his neighbor even though she's a world away. He can't get what he's seen out of his mind, and he thinks it's wrong to get it out of his mind because privilege means responsibility in his worldview. And Paul Farmer has enormous privilege at Harvard because he's smarter than everyone. He's pursuing his MD and PhD, but every weekend, instead of hanging out in the library with his peers, he cobbles together whatever money he can get his hands on to fly back to Haiti to go on working with his friends and he, he excels so much that in the first two years, he receives enormous financial uh, grants because of his academics, and he puts all the money back into Haiti, into what becomes Partners in Health, an organization which now, 35 years later, has had the largest impact on reversing AIDS and tuberculosis in Haiti and in many of the African countries, all because this man believed deep down inside 
that his gift meant his responsibility to the world neighbors that God has given us, not in the third world, as he will go on to say, there's only one world and we all live in it. Does that inspire anybody else? Oh, gosh, when I read that book, I was so close to quitting being a pastor. (laughs) But I want you to see this morning, listen now. The inspiration you feel is the Holy Spirit in you. If you're a person of faith and wanting to know God, when your heart awakens at a story like that so you want to do something good, I'm telling you right now that is God's Holy Spirit, the treasure that he's put in you, telling you you should want good like that. Maybe not the exact same, but like that. If you're not a believer this morning, you don't have the treasure in you because you don't have faith, you're not sure what you believe about God, still, even still, the Spirit is at work, even in you. Oh, wanting to draw you forward so you move toward that. I want you to look at these words. It is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This will be our focus this morning. These words are a very clear and concise statement that Uh, that says very plainly that these stories, the one I've shared and others like them, move us because of God. And to be precise, and we're going to spend our time here, notice first of all what is said there, it is God who is in you. The first hearers of these words were Christians in a community in Philippi. The author was Paul, and he wanted to teach them out of his own experience and knowledge of what God had revealed to him so they would know how to move through life in the way that God wanted them them to, so that they would realize the riches which were theirs. This assertion, first of all, reflects the belief that those who are working at following Christ have the very presence of God themselves in them. It is God in you. The treasure of God's presence in anyone who's trying to trust Jesus often remains hidden. If you yourself are a person of faith and wanting to walk after God in Christ and you say, I never feel God, he's far away, that's not because he's not there. It's because it's very easy for that treasure to become buried in you. Does anyone else know that? The grammar here further enriches the picture of what Paul wants to teach. I want you to notice that center phrase, at work. That represents, in Greek, the present active participle. Are there any grammar nerds in here? Yeah, this is for you. Just you and me, the one person. (laughs) Literally, the present active participle means an action which is happening now and is ongoing and effective in the present. Literally, it is God the one working in you. That means that God is in you, not static, but dynamically at work. The the vocabulary that is rendered work there in English, in Greek, is energio. Does that sound like a familiar word, energio? It's the word that we get energy in our language from. And here where Paul is pointing to that there is inside of you an energy, uh, an effective force which is directed toward a purposeful goal and that energy is the presence of God himself within you. God is energizing you from the inside. He's pushing you. He is attracting you forward in a particular direction. He is drawing you like iron filings are drawn toward a magnet. 
You cannot see the force that makes it happen, but you can feel the effects. And that is exactly what's happening inside of every heart when it is awoken by something which is inspiring and drawn forward toward what is good. In a similar way, God is in you, energizing you in a way that cannot be seen, but the effects of which can be felt. To what end? There are two named here. The first, enabling you, look at it, to will his good pleasure. God is in you, energizing you so that your will is directed in a particular way. Your will is the center of your desire. It's what you want. It's the engine out of which your inclinations are driven. Wanting to go this way rather than that. Behind those decisions are your will. Making you want to live in a particular way. And here Paul says that when you want to do what is pleasing to God, which you want, I know it, Sometimes you don't, right? Sometimes you want to do what is pleasing to you and you know it's wrong. Anyone else in here? Just whisper an amen. Amen, right? (laughs) But here Paul's saying, when your heart is drawn to what pleases God, that is the treasure that I've decided to put in you, God says. I've done that, God is, is saying through Paul here. So that when you hear about Paul Farmer doing something which I want people to do because I love the poor, God says this. I want you to clothe them and feed them and meet with them and and, and I want you to take care of them. That's, uh, That's one of my highest priorities. God said that through Jesus Christ in Matthew 25, if you know the Bible well. If you didn't know that, that's why that story wakes us up because Jesus said you should do that. And here's Paul is telling us why. Uh, The Spirit of God inspires our deepest desires to do what is right in us. Now, here's an important question. How do we know when it's God and not just us? That question makes sense, right? I was asked that question on Friday in, in town here when I was having coffee by a high school student who wants to follow God. How would I know the difference? It's a great question, right? Because the truth is, all our lives long, we are always, not just some people, but all of us will always have to work at distinguishing between the desires in us that arise because of God's presence in us, and we need to distinguish them from those which arise because the old us still is awake and wants to take over our lives and drag us back into the grave from which Jesus rescued us. If you think, once I become a follower of Jesus, I won't have to struggle with that any longer. That's not true. It's a lifelong process for all of us to learn to distinguish between the the drives and desires that the Spirit awakens, the Spirit of God, and the drives and the desires that are awakened by other factors. Do you understand how many forces are at work shaping your will? There are physiological factors that shape what I want. When I'm hungry and I haven't eaten in too long, my will directs me in untrustworthy paths. <laughs> right? Anyone else? Yeah, there are wiring issues in folks which incline them toward destructive behaviors. And we don't need to judge people for that. We just need to acknowledge it. That sometimes a wiring uh, is, is not as it should be and, and it makes people want to go in the wrong way. And that's not God. That's... That's them, and they need to learn to distinguish. There are experiences from your path, your past, excuse me, which will make you afraid of things that God doesn't want you to be afraid of or attracted to things that are not good for you. 
And to grow is to learn to tell the difference. There are unmet needs in you right now that are going to make you think from deep down inside, maybe that's God that's pushing me to want that, and it's not. Uh, God enables us to will what pleases him. He does that, and very uh, common for us will be the fact that what pleases us is not the same. And so we're left with the question of how would we know the difference? Here's a simple answer, okay? God has given us help in the scriptures. In the Bible, there are plenty of things which are difficult and hard to figure out, but there are also plenty that are easy enough for for anyone, a high school student, anyone, to read through and say, okay, now I see some of the things that please God, and when those things are awakened in me, I'll know it's him. And I'll be very uh, specific here. In the letter of Philippians from which this writing came, you will read that God loves humility. Uh, when, when people don't think too highly of themselves, but rather look for ways to see the best in others, that pleases God. And if that inspires you, if you see someone who's always looking out how to make another person look their best and not showing off and trying to be so arrogant, if you like that, that's God's spirit in you saying, yeah, that's the right way. Uh, God loves selflessness. When people put the needs of others around them first and are willing to divest themselves for the sake of lifting others. Does anyone in here have a spouse or a, a beloved friend or, or a parent or a, a child who does that for them? Does anybody? Yes? Show your hand up so that we can see. There's lots of people who have others in their lives who do that. That is inspiring to you because God wants them to do that and he is pleased. And you can do that too. God loves sincerity. He loves when people are authentic and real and, he, and, and when they're, they're deciding not to be hypocritical. He loves fearlessness uh, in the face of detractors or God's enemies. He loves trust that leads a person to follow God's path even when it, uh, when it goes against self-preservation. He, God is pleased when love flows out of us and spills onto the people around us like a cup overflowing with water. All of these come from just chapter two in the book of Philippians. I, I, I say that to let you know that, that it's easy enough to learn what pleases God and then the next step, and this is the first thing that I want you to take away from this morning about the treasure which is in us, is to learn to pay attention when your heart is inspired by those things you've learned that please God. And, and I want to say this, maybe you should literally take notes. Uh, and I mean literally, take a little notebook and write down, I saw someone, uh, I saw a mom courageously standing up to her children by taking away something that, that, that she knew was bad for them out of love. And that inspires me. And write that down. That pleases God. Um, I saw a high school student go out of his way to reach out to people who um, others have pushed aside. And with genuine love, he went out to the outsider. That's inspiring to me. Make a note right? Maybe the story of Paul Farmer this morning. It's so inspiring. You want to run out of here and start studying for med school. Go. I mean, like if that, I mean it, pay attention. That's the first thing, okay? Pay attention to the way your heart awakens because that is the power of the Spirit in you, showing you what to want. Now, as you'll know, wanting to do the right thing is only the first step but it's not necessarily going to get you anywhere. Do you know that there's a difference between intentions and outcome? Does some of you know that from your own experience? There were three frogs 
on a log, and one of them decided to jump into the water. How many frogs are on the log? Two. I answered the same way when a mentor early on in ministry was trying to teach me about decisions, and he said, not necessarily, because deciding to jump in is not the same thing as actually jumping. And here Paul tells us that the Spirit is in us not only to make us decide to do the right thing or want to, but also enabling us to jump. Look again carefully at these words, and I've only selected a few this morning because they're very, very packed and dense. It is God who is enabling you to work for his good pleasure. Not only to will, but also to work. They're both in that one statement. Work requires effective energy, not just energy to inspire, but also to move. The good things that the Spirit does inspire in us require power, but the power required is not within our grasp, but rather is given to us by God. And I'm taking my time here because this is complex, but it's not beyond us, and we must grasp it. It's implicit here, what is explicit elsewhere in Scripture, that apart from God's power, you cannot actually do the good things that you want to do. Those who are very familiar with Scripture will know that there was a time when Jesus said this directly to his followers. Do some of you know when Jesus taught his followers that he he was the, the vine and they were the branches? He told them, unless you abide in me... You cannot bear any fruit. Unless you're connected to me, nothing will grow in you. And then he was very explicit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And there he was telling them the truth, which is implicit here, which is when you are connected to God, only then will you have the power. There are other places in Scripture where this dynamic shows up. If you know other places where Paul himself, the man who wrote these words, talked about his own struggle between will on the one hand and work on the other, maybe you know that in Romans chapter 7, he described himself as a person who was miserable because he knew the good thing to do, and yet he couldn't do it. He knew the bad thing that he shouldn't do, and yet he kept on doing it. And then he asks, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about the Spirit for the rest of the chapter. So here we must see first that it is critical for us to grasp that God not only is in us to inspire us through stories like Paul Farmer's, but to give us the power that is required to achieve that. And whether that means going down to Haiti to save hundreds of thousands of lives or to be patient in the way you're sure God wants you to, but you haven't yet achieved with your spouse or your friends or your teachers or your parents or your children. Either way, you want that because the Spirit wants you to want it, and you are able to do it because the Spirit is going to give you the power to do it. But here this last thing is critical. God gives power, His power, in such a way that you still have work to do. Notice carefully Paul here says, enabling you to work. It is God's power and your work. That is, God is enabling you to grow and do what he inspires you to do, but without making you free of the responsibility of doing the required work. Do you see it? There's a name for this dynamic. 
That is that God is in you to enable you to do the work and still requiring of you the work. And the theological word for it is sanctification. Now, if you've been at Renaissance for a while, you'll note that it's not often that I use theological words with three or more syllables. And that's on purpose because I'll only do that when I believe they're helpful. And that also is partly why I'm wearing a necktie this morning. <laughs> Sanctification is the continuous operation of the Holy Spirit within you. And I want you to learn this if it's helpful. If now your ears are tuned out, okay. Just go on pretending that you're listening. But sanctification is not a one-time occurrence, but rather a lifelong process. Day by day, God provides the strength enabling you to walk in the new life that God inspires you to walk in by his grace. His strength, your steps. All, all, every person who trusts in him has been delivered by God's grace from the grips of sin from which no one is able to rescue herself. God has grabbed your hand and lifted you and that's called justification and maybe you've heard that term as well. But now that God has delivered, which he did when he died in Christ and you first awoken to the gratitude that made you say yes to him, now that you have done that, he is in you to renew your nature entirely. You becoming the one who does the good that she wants to, who does the good that he's inspired to do because God has put it in his heart to do that and given him everything that he needs, listen now, to go on working for it. I, I, keep, I hope you hear this. I keep going back between the agency of you and the agency of God because what's happening with God is a process in which you're invited into a partnership that is completely unequal uh, unequal, which is it? Un, a guy who's wearing a tie like this should know the difference. <laughs> it's completely unequal, but it's still a partnership. Uh, that is the death of the old you, not once, but over and over every day. The birth and the growth of the new you, again, not all at once, but through the quickening power of the spirit within you, which teaches you to walk even as you stumble, picking you up, awakening you from the slumber yet again, bringing you entirely, mind, body, soul, intellect, affections to the new life that he inspires you. Start to finish, it's a supernatural work, God's work. And start to finish, it is a work that God does with you rather than without you so that it can be said that he's enabling you to work. Here is the best illustration uh, that I can offer you of this partnership. Picture a garden. Uh, imagine a perfectly balanced and beautifully colored and fragrant garden in which every good thing is growing. Uh, the sun which warms your back has traveled 93 million miles to land on those leaves and to be absorbed by them in a mystery that is beyond anyone to figure out, transferring that heat into energy. How? Who knows? The roots go down into that brown soil, drawing up water and invisible nutrients to become a red tomato or a yellow pepper, a green bean, some wrinkled leaves of kale, a raspberry. All the while, insects, butterflies and bees buzzing around, magically bringing from one plant to the other exactly what they need to go on 
growing. It strikes you in that moment that here are mysteries beyond any human being ever to create or maintain. And while you're thinking of that, up walks the gardener. Here's a woman who's been working all season long, knowing full well that none of these magical qualities of the plants are within her power to control at all, but at the same time, understanding full well that unless she's at work every day in the garden, at the end of the harvest, there's going to be nothing to show. Preparing the soil by taking out the rocks, making it soft so that it can accept the seeds as they begin to sprout up, diligently taking every single weed away and nurturing every single new growing plant, as they come into being, pruning where pruning is required so the fruit is full and delicious, and protecting the garden from intruders, bringing water along when it doesn't come naturally. Here is a picture of a partnership in which she will never mistake those elements of this mystery which are beyond her and at the same time understand full well without her hard work, there's going to be nothing to eat at the end of the season. This is how it is with you and the Spirit. And I want you to mark this well. You are not responsible for what only God can do. And God will not take responsibility for what he's decided that he wants for you to do. And that's how it works. His spirit is given to enable you to work for his good pleasure and to want his good pleasure. His power, your work. What should you do? Here is my challenge for you this morning. It is two, it's twofold. You should believe and you should work hard. You should believe every time your heart is awakened at something good, which God loves, that it's God's spirit within you. You should trust that. And then when you think, I don't have the power to do it, you should say, of course you don't. And then you should believe also that God is ready to give you everything you need to do that which he inspires you to do. What if it's way too much for me? Fine, if God inspires you to do it, go for it. Don't ever believe it's too big. What if it seems too small for God to care about? Nonsense, God cares about the kindness that you extend to the stranger or your friends today and tomorrow as he cares for the, the world hunger issues and all of the problems that are plaguing our world. Both of them are in his mind and heart, the things which he wants to awaken you to believe that he will empower you to do. And so you should believe. And then the second thing, you should work hard. And I mean it, work hard. That story of Paul Farmer is easy to tell. It was hard for that man to do what he did. For years, he's been laboring away. And why do I feel confident to tell you that you should work hard? Look at the singular verse which comes immediately before the passage that we've been dwelling on in Philippians 12, 13. Here's what verse 12 says. Here it is, ready? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does that scare you? It should not frighten you in the sense that you think now you're supposed to anticipate that God might do something against you when you're not expecting it. That's what fear and trembling means in our parlance, but in the New Testament times, it was an idiomatic expression which meant basically appropriate humility. Standing before the authority who deserves your reverence and respect and regard and awe, be 
there before him in such a way that you are ready to trust him and uh, have regard for his will over anyone and everyone else's. Don't be afraid of everybody else in the world. Don't let the thought that it's too much make you afraid. Nonsense with all that. Focus on him and stand there in humility. That's what that means. And then that phrase, work out, that means something like unfold. It does not mean accomplish your own salvation. You can't do that. It doesn't mean maintain your own salvation. No one can do that. It doesn't mean earn God's affections. The whole of the gospel says you are met by God when in Christ you are a dead person and he awakens you from life out of his love. That's done and over with. You don't have to earn that, but now you are responsible for working and unfolding this gift like a person has to open a map and unfold it to see where to go. And that is the adventure of hard work that God calls you to and me to and every single one of us here to this morning. To believe and then work hard. Practice paying attention to what awakens your heart. Do you know the word inspire, which I've used an awful lot, comes from the Latin to breathe into. Uh, it's a word that's related to our, linguistically, our word spirit, in spirit. When the spirit moves in you, pay attention. And have God-sized ambitions. God-directed and God-sized ambitions. I would like our church to have ambitions like that. I would like our community altogether, Renaissance Church, to be open to the in-breathing of the Spirit so that our will, our desire as a gathering of people together would be directed by Him toward great things. And I see it happening already, which is one of the reasons I'm so thankful to be a part of this community with you. And then when, when the Spirit breathes in you and inspires you in that way, then be ready to accept the second challenge, which is work hard. Uh, nothing good comes without hard work. Uh, so be ready to be awoken and engaged in the process that God invites you and me and all of us together on, which is the process of both being enabled to will and to work for God's good pleasure in the Spirit. Let's pray and ask God to enable us. God, we love you and thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together in your spirit this morning. The fact that at the beginning for each of us is an act of love on your part which has rescued us from certain death in separation from you causes us to feel gratitude. We thank you that in Christ we were delivered when he himself became humble and obedient even to the point of death on the cross, so that we could be rescued and delivered in a way that we never could rescue or deliver ourselves. We thank you that that gift is behind all of us and that the offering to trust and live out of that gift has been given freely. God, for those of us who a long time ago accepted your gift of salvation in Christ, would you renew us this morning in the joy of your salvation? Right now even, God, would you move your spirit in us to make us joyful that by grace we have been saved and not by anything that we have done, but rather by your goodness. God, bring that to mind this morning for every man and every woman. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.